Good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. Glad you've decided to take this time out of your morning to join me. I have a few thoughts that I'd like to share with you this morning, of course, but before I do that, I want to let you know that we are considering coming back to the building on June 7th. That'll be the first Sunday in June. Arizona will be opening up pretty much all open at that point in time. And while we will practice some social distancing, if you will, uh, we will carry on as normal. And these lessons will continue to be recorded or uploaded directly, uh, live streamed somehow to those who, because of health issues, because of age, don't feel comfortable in coming back to the building just yet. So we're looking out for everyone, but we're glad that you're here today. I do have some things I'd like to share with you. You know, it was sometime late December, early January, when we first started hearing of the virus outbreak. At first, it was seemed to be localized in China. Uh, not much concern to be had over here. They were still recommending travel, and then we had the virus come here, and it was starting to prove fatal. And we had the travel ban from the Far East, from China specifically, and those people who had been to China. Um, then there, the infections, the number of infections continued to grow and cities started practicing and states started practicing social distancing and some sanitation rules. And then we've gone into almost a full national lockdown of every state in the union to prevent the spread of the virus. Left a lot of people troubled, a lot of people hurting because job losses have been tremendous during this time of quarantine or social distancing and social restrictions. So I've been thinking about this, uh, as you all have been thinking about it. But I want to share with you some things from the Gospel of John. So turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John. Specifically, we'll be in chapters 14 through 16. Now, I'm not going to cover all of those three chapters. This is one long discourse that I want us to think about today. There are some important things. I think it starts in chapter 14 and begins with something, a statement there that we'll see. And I'll read that to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in chapter 16, in verse 33, it ends that same idea of being troubled, Jesus has explained to them some things and taught them. They now say they believe in around verse 32 uh, that he is from God. And he says in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So it's almost like two bookends. Uh, to keep the books together. So I just want to keep that in mind as we proceed through this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. They were troubled. Why? Jesus in John 13, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, uh, has washed the feet of the, all the disciples, even the feet of Judas, who would betray him. Then he tells them that he's going someplace where they cannot come, saying in verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. <clears throat> and as I said to the Jews, 
Now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So during these times of separation, he's preparing them. You continue to show love. Show the love for one another as I have shown you. Of course, we know from the Greek text that this is agape love. It is the highest form of love that the Greek language could understand and write about. It is, I love you no matter what, and my love will be with you always. Um, Peter has said, you know, shocked. I imagine all the disciples were somewhat shocked that he was going and they couldn't come. And Peter says, where are you going, Lord? Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later, Jesus said, verse 36. Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. I don't know what Peter was thinking at this time. He just was probably overwhelmed with confusion, uh, but he wasn't thinking about what Jesus was really saying. All that he heard was that Jesus was going somewhere. Their rabbi, their teacher, whom they never left his side, was going, and he couldn't come along. And he wanted Jesus to know how much he wanted to and said, I'll go with you and I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And I don't know physically where they are at this time. They've left the upper room undoubtedly. Perhaps they're journeying to the garden or maybe they're getting ready to leave the, that room where they had the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, excuse me. They are, go, they are listening to him. And this is when in chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. One of the commentaries I read translated this last portion of verse 1, continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in me. It's an imperative command. He, they were going to have their faith tested. They believed in God, yes. They believed in Jesus, yes. He wanted them to continue on in that belief, not to waver in any way. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, we are living in some troublesome times. Um, politically, there's a lot of conflict that's gone on. There's conflict over this lockdown that we've been under for the last five months, if you will. Uh, there are a lot of tempers that are flaring and Congress and in the Senate. There are a lot of things that are going on, and we're living in some unprecedented troubled times. We have a high rate of unemployment, albeit it's probably, hopefully, temporary, uh, and will soon start to go the other way as business opens up. But we're living in some troubled times. The fear of getting the virus and looking at the numbers as they go up, even though maybe they're flattening a little bit and getting fewer infections and fewer deaths. And so the rates of infection, the rates of death are decreasing. Still some troubling times that we are living in. And some people thrive on living in the chaos. Most people don't. Most people are very uneasy and they're, they're boiling, if you will, internally. They're high levels of anxiety. And Jesus knows that this is what his disciples are facing as he's going to leave them. He says, do not let your hearts be 
troubled. Continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in me. And since he's told them he's going someplace, he says, I'm in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may also be, and you know the way I am going. We said, look, I'm going someplace and you can't come, but what I'm doing is I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many mansions. There are many dwelling places, not just a one or two room place for somebody to live, but a massive dwelling place where there'll be splendid apartments, if you will, penthouses and, and wonderful apartments uh, with many, many rooms, enough for a person to have adequate space and have no worries about the roof over their head. And he says, you know where I'm going. Now, part of that was, was that Jesus in John chapter one, John writes, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Chapter one, one, verse 14. And then in verse 18, was that the word that had become flesh has revealed God to us. Uh, that's essentially what John is saying there in that chapter one. And so what he's telling them is, you know, just as the tabernacle existed and God's presence was there, and they knew it by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, that God was with them. And what says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's the Greek word equivalent to the Old Testament Hebrew word of tabernacle. He tabernacled among them. So that's what the writers that John would be hearing would hear that John would be writing to would hear. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And since I'm going to prepare a place, I'm going to come back for you and take you there myself. Thomas is a little bit confused and he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? I'm not exactly certain what was going on in Thomas's mind. I know he was also in this state of confusion, perhaps somewhat troubled by the things that Jesus was saying. He just says, I don't know the way. We don't know the way. How do we know the way? And Jesus boldly says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Life, way, truth, these are nouns. They're not adjectives. I am the way, a definite article, the truth the life. I'm the way. Continue to focus on me. Look to me. I am the truth. Not part of the truth. I am the truth. I'm revealing these things to you so that you will know. And as we get more familiar with the scriptures, we know and come to understand more and more of what Jesus is saying, what God wants us to know and to understand. And we find in him life, the life. There's life in no one else. Now, I'll make that statement. Jesus is the only way of salvation. There's no other name given among men by which one may be saved, Acts chapter 4. He is the one. And why do I base that? Well, I base that because the tomb is empty. 
We know that the tomb is empty because of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, what have we said there? What have we learned? Well, we've learned that the tomb is empty, because Paul boldly states it, and that they knew about it. He said, Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he was raised. And not only was he raised, he was seen by 500 at one time. You see, the New Testament is reliable history, and that's one of the things I like about it. It confirmed, it's confirmed by history, where the Bible and history and archaeology all meet, they meet on the same page. They meet on the same place. So consider this, when the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, we cannot see God right now. We see him in Jesus through the pages of the Bible for the New Testament, from the Gospels. That's where we see Jesus. That's where we meet him. And so he wants us to have that confidence that when he tells his disciples and he tells you and me, I'm going away, but I'm coming back for you. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many mansions, many places for you to live. I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what we can do is look back to that and realize what he said earlier in verse 1 of chapter 14. What did he say earlier? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in me. There are things that challenge us, that cause us to have some doubts, but we don't have to because the Bible that we have is reliable to us. Now, why do I say it's reliable? Well, this is perhaps another topic that could be developed better for in a longer format, but it's reliable because it gives us factual names, places, and events. Consider the Gospel of Luke, if you will. Right off the bat, in Luke chapter 1, now, all of the Gospels were written to bring us to believe. And John tells us that in his Gospel as well. But in John, in Luke chapter 1, he's telling us, Luke is telling his friend Theophilus, that many had undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning who were, now listen, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having, get this too, investigated carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. 
so that you may know the exact truth of things that you have been taught. Theophilus had been taught some things. Luke was his friend, and he said, they were handed down to us by eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses were servants of the word. And it, so it seemed fitting for me as well, having spent time with them and knowing them, to investigate it. And what does an investigation take place? It means you're going to dig into all of the minutia, all of the big picture. You're going to look at it very carefully and closely. And he did it and put it down carefully from the beginning, writing it out in consecutive order so that Theophilus would know the exact truth about the things that he had already been taught. So he'd have confidence. Now, the reason I have confidence in it is because of the mention of historical places, cities, tech countries, historical names, and events. So case in point, in Luke chapter 2, Luke writes, Now in the, those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone on his, was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. You see, there are a lot of names there. There are a lot of events. There's an event taking place. Things that were written down historically that could have been verified by others who were living there at the time. If Quirinius was not governor, it would have fallen because no history would have recorded Quirinius, and they do. If there was no census taken, we wouldn't know about it from other historical documents. David, the city of Bethlehem, all these things point out that the Bible is reliable, and so we can have confidence in it. So now let's turn back to John and the purpose of his writing. This is in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Many other miracles done in the presence of his disciples, therefore also done in the presence of many other people. Uh, but these specific ones, John records seven major miracles in his gospel. Some of the other gospel writers in, include many more, but John includes seven specific miracles designed to teach this, the deity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, and his superiority over certain aspects of life, his control as God. Now, at the end of John's gospel, he writes in chapter 21 and verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. He did a lot. That's all he's saying. Uh, known world at that time, all the books and however they were written, said it couldn't contain them. Jesus did so much in his three and a half years of public ministry, in his 33 years of life. The things that Jesus did when he began his public ministry were so numerous. John is saying there wouldn't be enough books to contain them. So let's turn back to John chapter 14 and chapter 16, because that's where we want to be as well. Jesus has said in chapter 14 and verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. Troublesome times are ahead. They're going to be confused and agitated and pressed in. He says, that's going to shake your faith, but continue to believe in God. Believe in me. Now, the other side of that bookend, that bookcase is this verse. Verse 33 that we've already read. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Now consider that, if you will. In the world we have confusion, we have turmoil, we have everything but peace right now, right? But Jesus saying, in the world, you have trouble. In the world, you are pressed in, you're confused, you're agitated, but I've overcome the world. So what he's saying is, don't worry about all those things that are going on. In Christ, you have peace. In him, you have the ability to truly live. So take courage and live. Don't be, how do I want to say it? Don't be so anxious in life. Know that I've overcome the world. And if he's overcome the world, what more do we have to worry about? Because we're with him, right? And so we live with him, we follow him, we walk with him day by day. You see, he told them in verse 32, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. You're going to be frightened. You're going to be fleeing. You're going to be going off and hiding out. But the Father is with me. I don't have anything to worry about. So I've told you all of these things in John 14, 15, and 16. That's what John's writing them. That discourse was all brought to help them so that they would find peace in the midst of whatever was going on in their life. You and I can find that same peace. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm turning there right now, and I want you to follow along with me. This is known as, of course, the chapter of love in the Bible. Uh, Paul talks extensively about it. We know what Jesus said about love, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. But in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says the very last verse, but now faith, hope, love. Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's the love of God that caused him to send his son to die for us. While we were his enemies, Romans chapter, 10, chapter 5, verses 10 through uh, 11, 9 and 10. Uh, God's love was great. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes, love. But there's faith and there's hope. You see, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. And Paul, and excuse me, Jesus was telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in me. What does that mean? Continue to trust God. Continue to trust me. Faith. That's where it starts. It starts in the love of God. 
sending his son on to die on a cross for us to reveal to the world what God was truly all about. And then that would bring us to a faith-based relationship with God and with Christ. And that gives us hope. Biblical hope is always the, uh, an earnest expectation of receiving. You see, there are a couple of types of hope that we have. Uh, really, maybe only one type of hope that we have in this life, and that is kind of a pie in the sky. We hope we'll get this promotion. We hope this will happen to us. We may or may not have a good expectation for it. But in life in Christ, we have every reason to have that confident expectation, that earnest expectation, that assurance that I'm going to have that, that it will be mine. So as we get through this situation that we're in, dealing with this virus, there will be another something that will come up. There will be political turmoil, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of war, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be storms. There'll be another virus sometime. Maybe it'll take over a hundred years before it happens again, but there's gonna be something that's gonna happen and it will unsettle people. It will unsettle you and me. But Jesus has said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe in me. In the world, you have tribulation. In me, I've come to bring you peace. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? I can give you that peace. Peace that passes understanding. No matter what happens, that I know that in Christ, I will be okay. I hope that you're okay. I really do. And if you're struggling with something, I would like you to send me an email. It will be private between you and me. Uh, if it's send, give me a phone call. You can reach out and call the church building and our secretary, Lenata, will put you in contact with me. Uh, there may even be a contact number on the uh, phone that on the website that will ring directly to my cell phone. Uh, but just know that in the midst of these troublesome times, we can have peace. We don't have to be troubled. Jesus went to prepare a place for us and he's coming back for us. So he has overcome the world to bring us peace. So I hope you have peace today. I hope that you will have peace tomorrow. I just pray that you will be blessed. So once again, thank you for joining me this day. Uh, be blessed as you walk with God.